this morning, I'm not preaching. We're having Zach going to share the word this morning. I believe in making sure that other leaders in our church have the chance to preach. So Zach's preaching this week. In a couple weeks, uh, Mark Jones, our, one of our elders, is going to preach. And then the end of the month, uh, actually Aaron is going to share the word with us as well. So grab your Bibles. Let me invite Zach to come up as I pray for him this morning. Father, thank you for... For Zach, and thank you for what he means for me and for our church. Thank you for his leadership and his care in the area of leading worship through music. I pray for him now, Lord, as he brings the word, God, that you would remind him, Lord, that he is dependent on the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would show up, that your spirit would direct him. Lord, that you would open our ears, that we may behold your glorious truth from your word. Thank you for the great gift that God's word is to us. Lord, would you encourage us this morning, empower Zach to preach in your power. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Man, it's weird being here and not playing up here, leading you guys in worship. But I do want to thank Zeth for bringing the worship this morning, uh, just for drawing us in the worship and exaltation and praise and admiration and appreciation for what Jesus has done for us, this is the first time I've ever sat out here and taken communion um, in this church. So it was just a really cool thing. Um, and uh, I kind of wish I got to do it every Sunday. But then I couldn't be up here. So, uh, But Psalm 145, that's what we're going to be in today. So if you want to turn with me there, that's the passage we are going to be in today. It is a psalm of praise. In fact, it's the only psalm in the book of Psalms literally titled, A Psalm of Praise. There's a lot of psalms of praise, but it's the only one titled A Psalm of Praise. Not only that, but, it's, uh, but this psalm is the last psalm in the book of Psalms written by David. So if we understand David's life, if you've been reading scripture with us as a church this year, we've read a lot about David's life and Samuel uh, and Kings if you understand David's life and some of the psalms that he's written in the book of Psalms, we know that David's life was not perfect, right? Um, he was considered a man after God's own heart, but he made a lot of mistakes. Um, he went through a lot of things. He, went, um, he lived through war, exile, betrayal, despair, depression, loneliness. Difficulty after difficulty, yet the last psalm that we see that he writes in the book of Psalms is literally a psalm of praise outlining the significance of God's greatness. And in fact, that's the title of my message this morning, um, which is the significance of God's greatness. And we're going to look into uh, that a little bit more in just a minute. But before we do, I want to read... Psalm 145 together. So we're going to read this morning, we're going to read this whole psalm together. So you get to follow me and read it along with me out loud. All right. So please, please read along with me. If you haven't gotten there yet, uh, it's going to be on the screen. If you don't have ESV and you want to read from your Bible, you're going to be really confused because it's in ESV. So uh, if you don't have ESV Bible, then look at the screen and we'll read together. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. 
Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and will will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. And all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. To make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Awesome. Thanks for saying that with me, for reading that with me. I figure what better psalm to read out loud together than a psalm of praising God for his greatness. If you haven't been with us uh, much this summer, or have missed some Sundays, been talked a little bit about it, we uh, just want to remind you that we've been going through uh, the book of Psalms a little bit. We've kind of been skipping all over the place and looking at uh, different chapters in the book of songs, uh, Psalms. And as I was preparing this message today, um, I was thinking, uh, reading through Psalm 145, I thought it might be beneficial for us to get a little bit of context and background on the book of Psalms. And so I'm going to give us a little bit of especially literary context in the book of Psalms. And if you've been reading through the Read Scripture app with us and have watched some of those overview videos, this might be a little bit of review for you. But I think it's important for us to recognize and understand where this book of Psalms even came from. So if you flip through, if you have your Bible open, if you flip through like the book, the whole book of Psalms, you'll see that there's 150 uh, collections, chapters um, of poems and songs and prayers is what these are. 
And they're actually collections that have been, they're, they're these collections that have been put together over um, ancient Israel's history. And 73 of these poems were written by David. So actually under half of the Psalms were written by David. Yet uh, almost half of the Psalms were written by David. Um, and there are many different authors. In fact, even Solomon and Moses have their own poems. And actually, uh, a lot of them were written for choirs to sing. Um, just as you think is of a, a hymn book that a choir maybe would sing out of, um, the Psalms is written for a choir to sing. However, the book of Psalms is not a hymn book. The book of Psalms was actually collected together at some period after Israel's exile into Babylon. Um, and they were intentionally gathered together in, the, in an intentional design um, and arrangement. And to get for more info kind of about that, I definitely recommend doing a Google search or YouTube and uh, searching out the Bible Project and Psalms, and they just have a really good overview about that. Um, but to summarize that just a little bit, Psalms is actually divided into five different books um, five different books, five different movements. And before those five different books, there's an intro. So verses one through three is kind of the intro to Psalms. And then we have verse, or chapters one through three. Then we have chapter four through chapter 145, which is what we're in now. Chapter 145 is kind of those uh, first, those five books. And then we have the outro of Psalms, which is Psalm 146 through Psalm 150. And we see in the Psalms, we've seen this summer, how many different types of Psalms there are. There's Psalms of wisdom, there's Psalms of repentance, there's Psalms of lament. But really all of these Psalms fall into two, two categories of Psalms. Uh, we see Psalms of, first of all, Psalms of lament, and then Psalms of praise. And Psalms of lament we see are like, there's... A lot of Psalms of Lament kind of in the first three books of Psalms. So not the first three chapters, but the first three books throughout Psalms. And then um, in the latter part of Psalms, we see that there's a lot of, uh, lot of Psalms of praise, even though praise Psalms are throughout. They're, in, they're throughout the entire uh, book of Psalms. Yet praise Psalms are pretty predominant throughout the end of Psalms. And then we leave Psalms with these five chapters of this hallelujah conclusion praise of who God is. And we will get there in a few weeks in Psalm 150 when Aaron brings that word to us. So we see this like this shift from lament, which lament really is just all lament is, is, is um, it is expressing anger and confusion about what's happening in the world. Or expressing anger and confusion about what's happening to the psalmist, the writer himself, and asking God to intervene. And so we see like this shift from lament psalms to praise psalms. We see that as a model for us and how we're to pray and worship God. In fact, I think it was in the Bible Project, one of those videos, it mentioned David as kind of this this. Uh, this person who teaches us how to pray, kind of this prayer teacher throughout the Psalms. 
So what the Psalms teaches us is not to ignore the pain in our lives, but to see God's goodness in the midst. This is really where Psalms 145 is coming from. It's finding the significance of God's goodness in the midst of our hardship. So to give a quick refresher of what we just read, I'm going to read the first three verses of Psalm 145 again. It says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. So David, right off the bat here, proclaims God's goodness and that he and that David will bless the name of the Lord and praise his king. So write this down. This is my first point. The significance of God's greatness should affect us personally. The significance of God's greatness should affect us personally. In fact, David called God my God and king. He's, just, he's not just another God. He's not just another fictional God. He is my God. And not only that, he is my king. David himself was a king and may have been a king when he wrote this. And a king doesn't, a king is not one to bow down to someone else. In fact, a king would probably never bow down to someone else. It would diminish their name, right? It would weaken their power. Yet David is here proclaiming God as king in his own life, recognizing that God's greatness far surpasses his own. In fact, he says his greatness is unsearchable. And in other words, another way to say that is his greatness is baffling, confounding, inconceivable, incomprehensible, unfathomable. He is so great that everything else is insignificant. But here's the thing. He's not just this unimaginable, incomprehensible God of the universe. He's not this distant God. He is also, as David says, his God. And he is also my God. And he is also your God. This very God who is unsearchable, is the God who has chosen to be personal and near to you. So my question to you is, what have you done to praise him? How can you extend to him praise and proclaim the greatness of God? Well, at the end of the service, I'm going to give, or give you a challenge, actually, a pretty specific challenge this way this week that you can praise the name of our God. And if it's hard for you to come up with reasons to praise your God, I challenge you to get into the word, to get in the scripture, to read of his goodness. S.M. Lockridge, if you know that name, uh, you've probably heard of this video or heard of this sermon as one of the most compelling words of praise to, our, to his personal king, his personal savior, I personally have ever heard, and I'm going to share it with you this morning. Um, it really has just blessed me, encouraged me 
and motivated me to think of ways, uh, even creative ways, of how to praise our God, my God, and my King. And so I hope that it encourages you this morning and motivates you to praise him. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! Amen. Amen. That's my king. Yeah, how am I going to follow that, right? I love in there he says, he says, man, I wish I could describe him to you. 
I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. After he's tried to describe him this whole time, even with all that, he's indescribable. Well, this leads me to my second point, that firstly, it should affect us. The significance of God's grace should affect us personally, but secondly, the significance of God's grace should affect the generations. We should desire to praise our God so much so that the generations see his praises and see his goodness. Starting in verse 4 through 7, it reads, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of your might, of your awesome deeds, and I will declare of your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. One generation shall proclaim God's good works to another, shall commend God's good works to another. God has designed it so that the primary context for learning of who he is and his unsearchable greatness is through the family or through the generational discipleship and mentorship of the local church. And the interesting thing about this passage is that word commend. Some may see that and and think tell. So I may tell of God's work, which we do tell, right? We tell of God's works. But that word commend in Hebrew not only means to inform or teach, it also is there, it means to celebrate, One generation shall celebrate your works to another. You see, we show our children and our next generation what we value by what we celebrate. And my question to you is, are you celebrating things that have little to no eternal meaning? Are you celebrating things in your life even that could be detrimental to your kids when they grow up? Or do your celebrations culminate around the one and only thing that matters to the eternal souls of your children in the next generation? I mean for this individually, but I also mean corporately. I could say the same thing for our church. What are we celebrating? Does it have eternal impact? When the preschool kids and elementary kids and middle school and high school kids in our church, when they grow up in our church and they graduate, will they celebrate the greatness of God enough to to find a local church when real life hits? To seek after Christ uh, even in the midst of real life. Will they grasp God's love and affection enough for them to keep seeking after him when their parents are gone, when, the next, when this older generation is not there for them, or when they go off to college. See, the next generation is watching, and they will extend value to what we value. They will extend value to what we celebrate. I think of my girls and how many times that I have come home. Uh, they always meet me at the door, like <laughs> every single time. Um, super excited, and every time, uh, 
uh, I think of how many times I've come home uh, to them playing their guitar and singing a song um, on a loop, usually. It's usually like a phrase on a loop. And I say they're playing their guitar because they're playing their guitar. They have these little plastic guitars, and they just beat on them and play them. Uh, and it's lovely. But uh, I just remember one time just coming home and hearing maker, miracle, kirker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. And then it's just like this deafening guitar <laughs> in the background, you know. Um, I think of my middleest, my middleest, <laughs> my middle child. Uh, she loves, so she, this has nothing to do with it, but she loves to, to make up words to songs that have nothing to do with what she's doing, but she, the words make sense to what she's doing, if that makes sense. So, um, but she's just very creative in that way. And so one time we were in the car, I think it was, this was in February, actually, if you can believe it. And uh, I caught her singing. She was singing, um, uh, oh, my soul, oh, oh, my soul, oh, my soul, worship his holy name. Oh, 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 Gloria, Cincinnellos, and then looked at us and proceeded to say, "Clap your hands." <laughs> but I guess I guess they see I don't know I guess they see their dad um, cranking out Waymaker and Ten Thousand Reasons and and uh, Gloria in, in now I can't even say it. Uh, Excelsius Deo, um, or maybe they see it in the uh, kids' ministry or wherever they see it, but they're echoing what they see. They're echoing what they see others do. So our kids and those that are younger are watching you. They're celebrating what you celebrate. They desire to value what you value. So every time, we come together, let's celebrate the Lord in this church, amen? Doesn't that make you want to make a joyful noise in this church on a Sunday morning as we go into worship, knowing that our children are going to be echoing that? I say that for singing on a Sunday, but it really goes for all aspects of your life, especially if you're a parent. Are you celebrating and praising God in your home? Are you joyous when you come home from a hard day at work because you understand and realize the work of God in your life and the family he's provided you with? Or are you tired and grumpy at your wife and your family? And believe me, I am preaching to myself on this one. We must celebrate God's good works to another. So that the next generation will praise him. Next, and this is one of my favorite points in this passage. We see it in verse 8 through 13. Is that the significance of God's greatness affirms the insignificance of our failures. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is verses are 8 through 9 here. 
I'm going to read it again for us. I'm actually going to read through verse 13. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and and tell of your power to make known to the children of your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. I said I love verse 8 and 9, but in fact those phrases there permeate scripture. In fact, Psalm 103.8, which is actually a mirror almost to Psalm 145, says this, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Sound familiar, right? Numbers 14.8 says something about it. In fact, um, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, uh, Ben mentioned this a couple weeks ago or last week, that David delighted in God's law. And at that time, he didn't have the full scriptures, right? But he had the Torah that he was looking back on, um, seeing God's deliverance, delivering his people through that, seeing God's love and compassion in that. And so we see that a lot of his words echo echo some of the the writings in the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, But in Numbers 14, 8, says, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. And in Micah 7, 18 through 20, this is a longer one, says, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the day of old. And this scripture is, is uh, somewhat of, of, a, of a looking forward to Christ as well. We see in Exodus 34, 6, which is another verse in the Torah, second book of the Bible. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then we make our way to the New Testament where really we come full circle and look, as we look forward to the Messiah, uh, actually the Messiah has now come. Paul says in Ephesians 2 through 4, or 2, 4, he says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. How powerful is that? By grace, you have been saved. That the significance of God's greatness through his mercy and grace would affirm the insignificance of our sins and our failures if we believe in him. Now hear me out. Don't get me wrong when you hear this this morning. Because it's not that our sins are so insignificant that it doesn't matter if we keep on sinning. That's cheap grace. That's cheapening 
the grace of Christ, of the gospel. That's not what I'm talking about at all. In fact, I'm talking about the opposite. We should be broken for what our sins have done, has done to Christ. But it's because of the significance of God's great mercy and grace that our sins are now made insignificant in the eyes of the Father. It's because of how he now sees us through the lens of the spotless lamb, Jesus, because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. And we got to remember that today through communion. It's because of his compassion and goodness we see that all his works and saints will praise him. In verse 10, there is a reason this morning that we come together as a church. There's a reason this morning that we come and praise our God, and it's because of the works of Christ in your life. And so I challenge you to look back on your life to see what Christ has done for you. If nothing else, because of the cross, because of your salvation. That God himself came down to earth. That God himself was tempted the way you're tempted, yet lived a sinless life. That God himself made relationships and friendships like you do. That God himself chose to love those around him unconditionally and taught us how, teaches us how to love others around us. That he went through grief and loneliness. That he wept for his friends. Our God is not a distant God. He knows exactly what you go through. But we praise him this morning that our sinful selves, because of the Christ, because of the cross, our sinful selves are no longer headed to hell, no longer headed to separation from him for eternity, but we have a future in his presence. Amen. Our praise, however, shouldn't be subject to our circumstances. They shouldn't be subjective. In fact, we see in the coming verse, which brings me to my next point, in verses 14 through 20, that the significance of God's greatness transcends our circumstances. The significance of God's greatness transcends our circumstances. We must not make the mistake of believing that following Christ will somehow make our earthly life better. Now, don't get me wrong, we'll be better for it in the perspective of eternity, of course, but our lives on this earth will not necessarily be better. And David is a prime example of this, right? The culmination of David's life experiences, in fact, come to a head here in, in this chapter of the Psalms. Yet David chooses praise. He chooses to lift up God, even in the midst of the difficulties and the life experiences that he had gone through. He says in verse 14, he says in verse 14, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and give them, uh, and you give them food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. 
The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. You see, David realized that regardless of the hurt, the pain, the grief, the loneliness, the despair, the whatever he went through, whatever you go through in your life, God is still worthy of praise. In fact, David says that in the midst of it all, it is worth praising his God. Because even in the hardships, we see in verse 14 that the Lord upholds all who are falling about down. The Lord provides in 15. The Lord provides for those who look on him and trust him. The Lord satisfies the desires of those who trust him. The Lord is righteous in 17. He's righteous in all his ways, yet he's kind in all his works. And in 18, he is near to all who call on him in truth. The Lord fulfills the desire of those who fear him in 19. And in 20, he preserves all who love him. He has compassion on us. I could do an entire sermon on just those few verses, but considering I'm 45 minutes in, you probably don't want me to start another sermon. (laughs) I do challenge you to sit in that this week, though, to open your Bibles to Psalm 145, to go to verse 14, to read to the end, and to just sit and be still and know that he is God, knowing that he cares so deeply for you. And that truth that is in that scripture is true for you. And it's true for all those who seek after Christ. And we're, now we get to the last verse of the passage in verse 21. We see because of the great truths, David, because of those great truths, David says in verse 21, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. In these words of David, we see my last point, that the significance of God's greatness brings us to continual praise. That because of the significance of God's closeness to humanity, his great works through the generations, his mercy and compassion and goodness and the truth of who he is, David says that his mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. In fact, All people will bless his holy name forever. God's praises do not end. He is too great. He is too significant. In fact, Jesus himself in Luke 19.40, when the Pharisees asked him to quiet his disciples, right, because they were proclaiming that Jesus was the son of God as he was coming into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, He said to them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. There's nothing stopping. There's nothing stopping the praise of our God. And if we don't praise him, others will. If we don't praise him, others will. And other people, those others will reap the benefit of praising God. We will see them seeing their generations growing up in praise to their God and celebration to their God. And so I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of praise. I want to be a part of praising God. 
So we see that because of the significance of God's greatness, his praise should flow out of us into, the, into others, kind of like, I don't know if this is too soon, soon, but a contagion, right? A contagion without a cure that continues to spread from person to person, from generation to generation, and from life into eternity. This is David's conclusion. This is my conclusion, actually. David's conclusion of this book is that all people should bless God's name forever. And not as, I mean, it's not only the conclusion of the book, it's the conclusion of everything he writes in the Psalms. We have the opportunity to gather together as a church this morning and lift him up in worship and in song. In just a moment, we're going to sing, How Great is Our God. The significance of God's greatness is massive. How great is our God that he would create this world yet care deeply for us. Name above all names. Worthy of all of our praise. We have the opportunity to come and praise his name together in song. But we also have the opportunity to go out into this world and tell others of the significance of God's greatness and the hope they have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, may we seek to praise you in every circumstance. In times we don't feel like praising you, God, may, may you show us who you are. And may we comprehend the significance of your greatness. Because it's in those times that we need to praise you even more. We need to see that you are close to us, that you love us. Give us eyes to see your your good works in our lives. Give us ears to listen and a mind transformed to comprehend the, the teaching of your word as we gather together each Sunday. God, I pray that you would give us a mouth that we can't help but speak and celebrate of your immeasurable love for us and the truth of who you are. But not only that, God, give us feet to walk into the brokenness of our city and our community, of our neighborhoods, of our workplaces. God, may we be your salt and light that you have called us to be in this broken world. Thank you. God, we thank you for this time that we get to gather together and learn from your word and worship you and praise you. May we not go one day this week without praising our God and our King. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.